morning. Father, we want to thank you for this great opportunity that we've had to be here today. And God, our hearts have been ministered to today. I want to thank you, Father, for the leadership of the Holy Spirit throughout the worship and this beautiful, beautiful song that Teresa has shared with us. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and we're thankful for that. You are a good, gracious, loving Father. And we have the privilege of being loved by you. And that's just awesome. Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to continue to move throughout the uh, sanctuary, hovering over the hearts of men and women. I pray for enlightenment, Father, for me and for those who will listen as we share the word of God today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will drill down into the hearts of men and women, children and students, and uh, embed this truth in our lives. And Father, if there's someone here who's never trusted Jesus, and, and God, you know exactly who that person is, that you would draw them um, to Jesus today, even though the message itself doesn't lend itself to that. With you, all things are possible. And then, Father, for every person here, that we'll leave here with something, that one word that, shared, that Teresa just shared, that one word that might just change our lives. So we commit this time to you, and we are grateful for it. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So isn't God good? I mean, wow, that was just wonderful. That was a great song. I told Teresa that's the, the best uh, song I've ever heard her sing before. It was just incredible. It really is. Well, listen, we're in the midst of our series on love. And uh, this week is one I shared with you last week. I said, you know, next week we're going to talk about something that you really don't hear too much about. And that is this idea, this concept of tough love and how that applies um, to God. And, and all week long I've been saying, God, would you, you're going to have to help me with this because I'm not sure how you share this and how you, how you teach this truth. And he was faithful and he began working in my heart and showing me different things and different ideas. And he showed me a bigger picture of this wonderful scripture in Hebrews chapter 12. And so that's where we're going to be this morning, Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through, if Lord willing, we'll make it all the way down through verse number 11. It's a big chunk of scripture, but we'll try to do our best to make it through all of that. So tough love. We kind of know what that means. If you're a parent here today, you know all about tough love. It's that thing that happens as you raise your children, um, that there are times when you have to say yes and no, and there are times when you have to teach your children um, some, some discipline like a work ethic. You know, you, they don't want to wash dishes, and they need to wash dishes. Um, they don't want to clean the room. they got to clean the room. Uh, you, they need to learn to mow the grass. You know, different things that we teach our children because the disciplines that we're teaching them will serve them well later on in life. We are experienced with that. And then sometimes, of course, we, we had that thing where they just simply disobey and they do, they do not do right. And so there's that other form of discipline and that's where we have to discipline them. And now, today it takes on different forms. Back when I was a kid, it usually meant... Well, one of two things, we lived in Florida, and so I had the privilege of purring, uh, pulling sand spurs out of the yard. Uh, that's a fun punishment. And, uh, and then the other one, of course, is a spanking. You know, back in my day, now you've got time out and time in, and you can't have your iPhone. You're four years old, but you can't have your iPhone now for a week. You know, those kind of things. There's all kinds of different disciplines. But when a person does something that's wrong, a child, we as parents know 
that, that has to be a part of it. And that's what God showed me, that Hebrews chapter 12, when he talks about this chastening of the Lord, it's not just when we do things wrong, it's really how we do life. Now, I, I've experienced and seen both sides of that coin. Um, back when I was in the eighth grade, um, I, was, I wasn't the kind of guy that was kind of drawn to fights, uh, probably because I probably would lose um, and so I kind of avoided that situation. But one day, and I, you know, it's funny, you can still hear this, what, 50 years later? I kind of see this thing played out in my mind to this day. We were sitting there in eighth grade class. The teacher had stepped out of the room, and, and I'm sitting there, and this dude grabs my pencil. He was a friend of mine. He was a friend of mine. And, and he grabbed my pencil, and he said, I'm going to break your pencil. And I said, don't break my pencil, dude. You'll be sorry, dude. And, and he did, and something when the pencil snapped, something snapped inside of me. And I really, I can't explain it to this day. All I know is I flipped the table over in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I flipped the table over and I just lunge at this guy and, and I grab him and I get him in a headlock and I start beating him in the head. It must have been a really nice pencil. I don't know. But unfortunately, the teacher walked in about then and it was too late to pretend like nothing was happening. So... We both went to the principal's office, and that was never a good thing because you got to remember this is 1968, somewhere in there, and that's back when they had corporal punishment in schools. And uh, so you know, the principal said, okay, you know, you're going to get you know, two swats a day for five days. I've told you this story before. It really impacted me. And so every day for the next five days, I would show up, get to school 30 minutes early. There's this line that formed outside the coach's office, and we're all there for the same reason. We're going to learn not to fight. And so... Uh, you know, he had been over and touch your knees, you know, like that. And, and he had this big old board, and, I mean, he just wailed into me. And, I mean, he probably lifted me off the ground. Well, I learned really quickly, probably after day one, I was a, I was a believer that should not have fight. But that did not negate the, the extension of the punishment throughout their all five days. But I promise you this, by day number five, I had learned one important lesson. You don't fight at school. And I never got in another fight again. I learned the lesson very well. And that's just one form of discipline. But then also I saw something just the other day that really impressed me. I was driving to work here at the church and I was driving by the football field. Probably actually I was probably coming back from lunch uh, because the guys were out there doing their, their, their weight thing. And there's a guy there, and he had a, a guy watching him, not helping him. If you've ever driven by there by the weight room, they got these huge tires. I guess they're off these monster dump trucks that they have the mines or maybe one of the, the big earth movers that they have out there. This sucker's big. I mean, this sucker is as tall as I am maybe. Of course, that's not saying a lot, I understand. But for tires, it is. Okay? So, like, really, really tall. And he was taking this thing and getting down in a squat position and trying to lift it up. And he did get it this far. I didn't see how he completed it. But the object of what he was trying to do was to flip the tire. That was his ultimate goal, was to somehow lift it up and then flip it over and I'm sure do it again and again. And then like the next day, it was like the next day, I was driving by again. And this time I think I was going home. And there's these two dudes out there. And they had that same tire. Okay, and they're taking that tire, and he has a eight-pound sledge, looking like an eight-pound sledge, and he's taking this tire, and with everything he's got, and believe me, he had some buff, so he was really swinging it. He would take that sucker and turn around and beat that tire. I mean, just hold it and 
bam! And boy, that hammer bounced into the air and did over and over and over again. The whole point being this. They were both being disciplined to be tough to get ready to play football. Now, now both of those are disciplines. One, I learned not to fight. And the coach was teaching these guys and conditioning their bodies so that when it came time on the football field, they would be disciplined to be ready to play football. Well, that's the scripture today. In this scripture, and we don't even know, by the way, who wrote Hebrews. We know it's the inspired word of God. Some people think Paul. Some people think Luke. There's just all kind of ideas out there. We're not sure who wrote this. But in these 11 verses, the author carries both ideas. You see him talking about when we do something wrong, how God chastens us. But then at the same time, and actually a bulk of the time, he's talking about when we go through um, difficulties, when we go through sufferings for the cause of Christ, and how we should learn to not despise those things, but to appreciate them. So you could probably see pretty quickly um, that this really does apply very well to, to our lives. Now, here's the deal. Um, how many of y'all like liver? A few of y'all, yeah. See, most people don't, okay? Most people, you mention liver and onions, and they kind of go, uh, I'm busy that night, I can't come to your house for supper, you know? Uh, how about, how about uh, you know, pig intestines? Yeah, a few of those, yeah, I've had those before. They're not really too bad, actually. But, you know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When you serve those kind of things for supper, don't be surprised if a lot of people don't show up. Okay, because they don't buy what you're selling. Okay, now I, I really feel like this is one of those sermons because I really think this is some hard truth. And, and a lot of y'all might go, Dwayne, I, that's not how I signed up. That's not what I signed up for. You know, the, the easy things you know, about that sometimes I preach about, you know, we like those kind of messages, but this is one that's really hard. But what you need to remember is this that when we signed up to be believers of Jesus Christ, you know, the ultimate goal wasn't for us to be happy. It was for us to be holy. And you've got to remember this too. That earth is not heaven and earth is not hell. Earth is not heaven and earth is not hell. Sometimes we get saved and we're walking this journey and we expect earth to be like heaven. It's not. There's a sinful world we live in. There's the battle of the flesh that we work with. Evil people do evil things. Earth is not heaven. But neither is it hell. Some people say, well, I've endured my hell on earth. Uh, No, you haven't either. If you've ever kind of read the Bible about how hell really is, you know there is no hell on earth. So don't be disillusioned. When when things get hard and you think, I'm going through my hell, you know, God must be mad at me, I'm going through my hell. You're not. And don't think it's heaven because it's not. I mean, there are going to be difficulties in this life. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, that really is true. So let's take a look at God's tough love, how it applies to us, and what he's trying to accomplish as he loves us. The scripture is Hebrews chapter 12, verse number... I'm going to start. Your sermon sheet starts at verse 3, but if I watch my time, I think we can do this. Um, I want to try to get 1 and 2 in there only because it's so interconnected. It's so connected to verse 3, it'd almost be wrong not to include it. So I'm not going to preach 1 and 2, but I kind of want to walk through it with you. It's a wonderful, uh, famous scripture, if you will, if you know anything about the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, here's kind of the backstory. Uh, the author says, Therefore we also, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, you need to pause there and know that chapter 11 is called the faith chapter, and it lists person after person after person after person after person who really demonstrated some incredible acts of faith. They, 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 they call it the Faith Hall of Fame. If you made that, you're kind of going, you know, this is really cool. You, you made the Hall of Fame for faith. And that's these people that he's talking about. And he's, when he says, seeing we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, those people of great faith are who, are who he's talking about. But here's what you need to understand. Number one, every person listed in Hebrews chapter 11 was a sinner. You've got to remember, you've got to file that away. Number two, very much, I almost would say all of them, but I try to avoid these dogmatic statements of everybody and all things. Virtually every one of them, not only were they sinners, they were failures. You know, my daughter, Rebecca, when you were there studying through Genesis, you have to struggle. She's saying, you know, there, there are a bunch of yahoos in, in Genesis. And if you start, you know, I started looking for a good family example when I do my family series. It's hard to find a good family example. It really is. So you've got to understand, these people in Hebrews chapter 11 included, one, they're sinners, and two, they were really failures. But number three is this. They also succeeded. See, failure doesn't stop us from succeeding. In fact, often it's in our failures that we learn to succeed the most. And they made the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of faith not because they didn't fail, but because they failed and learned. And that's us, guys. As we understand, we're all broken, we're all sinners. Two, guess what? We've all failed, and we're probably going to fail sometime today, and we might surely fail sometime tomorrow. We're going to fail, but what we do to that failure is if we learn or not. So, so the author says we've got this great cloud of witnesses that were all sinners, they all failed, but they all succeeded because they learned what God was trying to teach them. He goes on and says, that, says this, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And that's the deal. This is holiness. God wants us to learn to live practically holy in this life. Now, again, not so he can have a bunch of folks who kind of like, you know, like uh, has a trophy wall and says, yeah, Brent didn't sin this week and he kept the rules and he kept the rules, he kept the rules. No, no. See, God loves us enough to where he's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing us for heaven. And, and the process that we're going through on this earth is to make us practically holy. We're positionally holy already through Jesus Christ. But to help us be practically holy. And, and, and side benefit, when we, when we live holy lives, life is better. There's no, there's no hangovers. There's no apologies for an affair. There's no broken relationships. Life is better when we live practically holy. So, so the author says, let's lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. And then let's run with endurance. Let's run with the determination the race has set before us. And then verse number two, which we just touched on about three weeks ago when we are talking about joy, it says this. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the author says, now wait, you need an example. And the example is Jesus. Okay? Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. If, if we think Jesus, like, like the cross was a cakewalk for Jesus, because it says, endured the cross, despising the shame. 
If, if you think the cross was a cakewalk because he was worm sent God, but worm sent man, that it didn't hurt, there was no pain, there was no shame, there was no, no, none of that going on because you know he was God, so it really didn't hurt him anyway. What kind of example would that be? Now you understand something. He had a human body, and when they drove those nails, it hurt. More, more than you said. When they took that guy of nine tails and stripped away the flesh off his back, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, when, when, he's, when he was hanging there on the cross and his diaphragm was stretched up where he could not breathe and he struggled to pull himself up and the nails were tearing at his flesh and he pulled himself up to breathe, oh yeah, it hurt. And, and the author is saying, you know, you've got to look unto Jesus who went through this, okay? He despised his shame, but afterward he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have this example. And that's where we jump in to verse number 3. This is the, again, this is the section that talks about the discipline of God, sometimes meaning correction and sometimes meaning making us more like His Son, Jesus. Here's what it says. Verse 3. For consider Him... Who's the Him, do you think? Yeah, verse 1 and 2. Looking unto Jesus, it's Jesus, okay? So looking unto Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. How many of y'all think that the cross was a hostile environment? Yeah, he didn't have many friends. He didn't have many friends. He had a mama there. He had John there. Most of the other guys had fled like scared chickens. Okay? The Roman soldiers weren't his friends. Okay? He didn't have any friends there. All right? So he endured that hostility. Consider that. Consider what Jesus Christ went through on the cross. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. As you journey through life and difficulties come, suffering comes, pain comes, suffering comes, consider, suffering, consider what Jesus Christ went through. Not only what he went through, but how he handled it. Because again, he had his God side, but he was 100% human also. How he handled that suffering. Did Jesus get discouraged? No. Somehow he looked beyond the cross to the joy that was set before him. Looking forward to the day he will once again sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider that as you do this. Now here's the deal. This is why it's a liver and onion sermon. You know, the idea, the concept of difficulty in life and us having to go through difficulty and even that God allows difficulty is difficult. It's hard. It's hard. We much rather like, and again, you can find plenty of preachers who will preach. You know, there's plenty of churches that will sing Jesus is my boyfriend songs. There's not an ounce of theology in any of them. It just makes you feel good. I love, I love good music. But there's some songs that are just Jesus is my boyfriend. I feel good. And there's plenty of preachers who will preach a health and a wealth and you never get sick and you never lose your job and everything's going to be hunky-dory. There's plenty of people who preach sermons like that. The only problem is, you know, again, the, the bubblegum, you know, Jesus, my boyfriend's songs, again, they don't help us truly worship God for who he is. And the idea of a sermon that you never have suffering, well, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. So, so look at Jesus. Look at Jesus so you won't become weary and discouraged in your soul. I know, I know, most of us, if we were truly honest, if we were truly honest and say, why did, you, why did you sign up for this Jesus gig anyway? You know, we didn't want to go to hell. 
Yeah, we didn't want to go to hell. That, you know, why'd you get saved? Didn't want to go to hell. I mean, who wants to go to hell? The problem is we don't stop and realize that, that we were depraved sinners before a holy God. And yes, we were fast on our way to hell. But we had to reach a point where we understood that we were depraved sinners and we had to repent and turn from that sin, choosing to believe in Jesus Christ and choosing to follow Him, leaving our other pathway. That's the truth. You know, it's like a guy who joins the Marines. You know, he sits there and he gets in basic and the T.I. hollers at him and goes, well, I didn't know you were going to holler at me. And the guy, this T.I. goes, and why did you join, Marine? I like the uniform. <laughs> You've got to understand when you trusted Christ is the highest calling and privilege there is. But the concept and idea that there's no pain, there's no suffering is totally false. It's just totally false. I know it's liver and onions, but it's totally false if we believe that. So he said, I don't want you to become weary and discouraging your souls. In verse number four, he says, Now you've not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And really, that word sin is better sinners. So as you can see clearly, at this point, the, the uh, author is talking about, he's not talking about disobedience. At this point, he's talking about discipline in life because we will suffer for the cause of Christ. We are going to suffer for the cause of Christ. Here's what Matthew Henry said. Matthew Henry is a famous scholar from days gone by. He said, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. Let me read it again. Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. Do you remember what Jesus said? The world hated me and the world's going to hate you. So, so don't become discouraged when in this world... You have difficult situations, and here's where it gets a little tougher, and we're going to talk about it. It gets a little tougher, allowed by God, sometimes instigated by God, because His purpose is not your happiness, but your holiness. He's trying to grow you to be a stronger believer in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, verse number 5 says this, And you have forgotten the exhortation. Can I have an amen there? We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to forget. You know, if I were to come back in three weeks, well, first off, let's just be candid. Ask me in four weeks what I preached on this day. I'll probably go, can I check my sermon schedule? And the truth is, in maybe two weeks, if we're not careful, anything we hear today that might be helpful will be stolen away and forgotten. Okay? We have a tendency to forget exhortations. So, so the author says, um, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as what? Sons. As sons. And, and the exhortation is this, my son. That implies what? He's talking. The daddy's talking. The father's talking. Okay? Now, here's a problem. This is why another reason why we struggle with these teachings. Some of you have bad dads. The thought and the idea of a father chastening you brings up some really bad memories of abuse, pain, suffering, neglect, and hurt. I'm sorry for that. But I want to assure you of something. Your heavenly father, if that's the case, is nothing like your earthly father. Don't throw God under the bus because you had a bad experience with a bad dad here on this earth. He is a what? He's a good, good father. That's who you are. And we are loved by you. That's who we are. 
You need to cement that in your heart. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how things play out in life, no matter how difficult it gets, hey God, hey God, you're a good, good father. I want you to know I know that. And you know what? God, I, I am loved by you. Sometimes it feels like love and sometimes it doesn't feel like love. But I'm telling you, you're a good, good father and I am loved by you. So he says, you forgot the exhortation. My son, do not despise, do not, re, uh, do not uh, resent the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged, in other words, don't lose motivation when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now this is when it gets more difficult. This is when the author kind of changes gears. We go from suffering for the cause of Christ, that will be difficulty, to the cause of Christ. And there's no doubt here the topic is when we sin. When we sin. The word rebuked by him, those three words, means literally in the Greek to correct for a wrongdoing. So this is not about God making me holy. This is when I cross that line and, and the Holy Spirit's saying, you need to turn, you need to turn, you need to turn. And just like our children, sometimes we don't listen. You know, if you don't, I'm going to. If you don't, I'm going to. I'm going to have to. And eventually we have to discipline. Well, that's what God's saying here. I don't know why he changed gears here. Don't understand. Why did he change gears? I'm just telling you he did. So he says, don't be, don't be, you know, don't be discouraged when you're rebuked, when you're corrected for wrongdoing. For whom the Lord loves. Let me ask you a question. If you had to discipline your child, whether that means time out or spanking or whatever you do, does that mean you stop loving him? You know what a parent... First off, the child would say, "Uh, Yeah! Yeah, this is love. I want to write the definition all over again. But if you're a mom and dad, you know better than that. You know... If you see your kid running toward the road, you're going to stop him and say, I want to play in the road. I love you too much to let you play in the road. If you play in the road, I'm going to teach you a way not to play in the road. He goes in the road, you take him aside, you give him a swat or two on the bottom, or give him time out, or whatever you do. Why? Because you love him. And God, listen, God knows the ramifications, the consequences of disobedience. And he knows that is a painful experience for you. Probably more painful than the discipline. So, so, he says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and he scourges. Whoa. If I could skip over that word, I would today because I can't make it pretty. I can't make a joke. I, I can't get around it. The word scourge there means whip. Literally, to whip. And whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. How many sons? Every son whom he receives. Well, Dwayne, that kind of sounds like God might hurt me. He will. Let me read to you, because I know you don't trust me with a statement like that. So let me give you somebody we trust. Adrian Rogers. Now, he's dead. He's in heaven. Adrian Rogers was probably the most famous, one of the most famous American pastors there ever was. Anybody know him? Know of him? Yeah, okay, he's just, I mean, he's just a trusted man of God. Here's what he said. I'm going to read it to you so I can get it exactly right. Adrian Rogers said, God will hurt you, but God will not harm you. God will hurt you, but God will not harm you. Do you like that idea? Maybe not. 
You say, I don't like the idea of God hurting me. God loves you too much to leave you self-sufficient. God will protect you, but he will not pamper you. God will hurt you, but he will not harm you. He says, one time I had a doctor who took a knife and cut me. Can you imagine that? He hurt me, but he didn't harm me. He helped me because I had a rock collection down there called gallstones. What a perfect illustration of what the author is trying to teach us. Yes, will God allow pain in our lives? May he incite pain in our lives? Yes. But will he harm me? No. No. See, the Lord loves you. He may chasten you. He may even scourge you, but he loves you. Elizabeth Elliot, now you know who she is. I don't usually make a lot of quotes, but these were good ones. Elizabeth Elliot was the wife of Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot was the missionary in 1954, 35, somewhere in there, who was martyred on the riverbank in Ecuador. His famous saying is, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He was martyred on that shore. Here's what his wife said. God will go to any lengths to bring us to an acknowledgement of who he is. This is a woman who lost her husband as a martyr. And she said, God will go to any lengths to bring us to an acknowledgement of who he is. Elizabeth, even taking your husband, allowing the death of your husband, yes. That Westminster Catechism I read a while back said, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Our biggest end here is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And sometimes that means discipline in our lives. Now in verse number 7, he says this, if you endure chastening, and that word endure means if you experience chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? I mean, it's normal. Again, if you have a child and you're a halfway decent parent, there will be times when you will have to teach him some disciplines he doesn't enjoy. Mowing the grass, doing his room, those kind of things. Study habits. And there will be times when he does things wrong at discipline. Every, that's what parents do. And, and God's word says that when God does that, he's just acting like a father. He's doing what earthly fathers do. Because that's what earthly fathers do. They discipline, they teach, and they correct. Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, but if you're without chastening, if there's, if there's no discipline in your life and there's no correction in your life, of which all have been, become partakers, everyone, every child of God has been a partaker, then you are illegitimate and not sons. That's hard. But the author is clearly saying that if we go through a journey of our life and we see no evidence, one, of correction when we sin, but also if it doesn't seem like God is strengthening us and growing us, there's maybe something wrong with the relationship. We maybe have not ever been born again. We're chewing on, we're talking about the dinner table today. Verse number 9. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us for better or worse. If you had a bad dad, you understand that. If you had a good dad, you understand that. 
We have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be subject to the Father of spirits and live? If we've experienced our dads, and, and if you had a good dad, and you go, yeah, I trust my good dad, shouldn't we also trust our heavenly dad? Our heavenly father? I mean, has he ever made a mistake? Has he ever made a mistake? Has he ever been wrong? Has he ever been unfair in the sense of your relationship with him? No. No. For they indeed a few days chastened us if it seemed best to them. I'm talking about human fathers. But he, for our profit, and that word means advantage, for our betterment, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now again, I know, I, I've talked to people who go, Dwayne, you understand, I, yeah, I wanted to go to heaven, and I thought my life was just going to be smooth sailing. Bad things happen to bad people, but boy, with me and God, I'm a good person, and bad things don't happen to good people, and that's not true. In this world, we'll have difficulties. But God's working on your practical holiness to make you more like his son, Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this. I'm quoting lots of dead people today. A.W. Tozer said this. It is doubtful if God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. So, verse 11, we're done. Kind of. No chastening, can I have an amen here? No chastening seems to be joyful at the present. Okay, I, I, can I just say that? Okay, if, if I have sinned and God's doing corrective action in my life, I'm not going to go, oh God, thanks for that. I, I, man, I really appreciate that. I may afterward, but during the, during the punishment, probably not. Probably not. And, and even as we journey through life and we have those difficulties, those times of suffering, it may come from circumstances, it may come from people. When we have that going on, it doesn't seem joyful. I mean, can I be honest with you? I want to kind of go, hey, God, get me out of here. You know, by the way, I was reading Daniel this week. I saw reading devotion that referenced Daniel. And, you know, I was reminded that God didn't deliver Daniel from the lion's den he delivered him through the lion's den. Sometimes that's exactly what he does. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. My daughter sits over here, one of three. Rebecca was the oldest, and she'll tell you that I was hardest on her. Middle daughter, Jennifer, would tell you she was perfect. She never got spanked. The other two would tell you Sarah was spoiled rotten and never got spanked. Not that she was perfect, just that she was spoiled rotten. I am so amazed at the incredible young women that these daughters have become. I really am. In spite of my failures and Judy's failures... They've really turned into beautiful people. Even the spoiled one. Even the spoiled one. And the one that's perfect, well, she goes, of course. But this one's special. You know, she's the first try at it, and, and we would butt heads, and 
I still, I told Ethan the other day, I remember the first time that I couldn't hold her down anymore. We were wrestling stuff, you know, and we were up on my bedroom one night and wrestling, and she broke free. I said, uh-oh, we are done. We would walk up and down the hills, and we would be hollering about things that parents and teenagers holler at each other about, and it all in with a hug, you know. After we'd all hollered at one another, it was, it's a, you know, it's a big hug thing, you know. But here she is, 36? Is that right, or 38, 39, 40? Is it 40? I don't know. And we had this beautiful relationship. Now, when she was 16, it didn't feel very beautiful. There was groundings and, and discipline. By then, again, she could whip me, I couldn't whip her, so we gave up on that. But there were groundings and there were spankings when she was younger and all that stuff, and it was contention. But now, we had this really beautiful relationship. I love her dearly. I love all three of them. Casey, listen to recording. I love all three dearly. But I love Rebecca very, very dearly. And that's what happens. No chasing seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained through it. Don't throw God under the bus. Give God a chance. Give God a chance. It may, if you're going through the suffering time right now, it may be very painful and difficult. But how many of you today, and we don't have time, but how many of you today could stand up and say, oh, let me tell you, it was hard, but God. It was difficult, but God. God was faithful. God was good. God was faithful. God was good. Can I have an amen with that? It's just the way, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And right now where you are, that may be so hard to see. And I want you to know that's okay. That's okay. Praise God, one day you may look back and go, yeah, but he was good and he was faithful. Now, I really, I've got about seven minutes left and I really want to go through some things real quick because I think you need to hear them because you may have a couple of questions, okay? The first one is this. Difficulty is not always the result of sin. Now, just because you're going through something difficult, it does not mean that God's mad at you and it does not mean that you've sinned. Okay, uh, John 9, 2 and 3 says this. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this, not, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened that the work of God may be displayed in his life. So not all suffering. There are some well-intentioned pastors down and say, Yeah, if you got a flat tire, you didn't pay your tithe, you're sick, you got sin, da-da-da. Not all suffering is because of sin. Okay, you need to remember that. Number two, suffering enables us to comfort others. I don't have time. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5 is the scripture if you want to write that down. But when I go through something difficult, later on I'll have the opportunity to walk with somebody else that difficulty. When we lose a spouse... We'll be able to comfort someone else when they lose their spouse. If we lose our job, we'll have the opportunity to comfort someone who's lost their job. When we have a rebellious uh, student or a rebellious parent, we can help other people as they go through it. So difficulties help us do that. Our eternal reward outweighs our suffering, our difficulty. Whatever we endure here is minuscule compared to eternity. Remember, This is not heaven. It is not hell. Your time here is limited. It's finite. Heaven is eternal. 
And Paul said, and the reference is 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, that, that everything that we're going to experience in heaven far outweighs what we experience here. And, of course, we said in James that all our suffering helps us to grow. It helps us to grow. It helps us to be mature. In James chapter 1 and verse number 2 through 4. Now, here are four takeaways. Get ready to write them down. Four takeaways. Because, by the way, you say, well, I didn't, I didn't want to hear this today. Dude, it doesn't change the truth of it. I mean, you're going to have difficulties in life. And if, if you sin and God whispers in your ear and you don't hear, you may even get corrected in your life. Our desire not to experience it doesn't do away the biblical truth. Four things. How can we respond to this today? Number one, we can accept it with resignation. In other words, you've heard this truth and you go, well, all right, that's how it's got to be. I don't like it. God, I tell you I don't like it, but I'll accept it, but I don't want to. Number two, we can readily accept it with self-pity, thinking we don't deserve it. Okay, God, I accept it, but I really don't deserve it. You should have given this to Brent. You should have given it to David. You should give it to somebody else. I don't deserve it. Number three, we can be angry and resentful toward God. We can be angry or resentful toward God. Or four, we can accept it graciously, letting it accomplish its purpose in our lives. God may hurt us, but he will not harm us. He is a good, good father. That's who he is. Don't let circumstances, other people, whatever it is, don't let anyone move you on that fact, on that anchor. He is a good, good father. That's who he is. And never doubt, never doubt, never doubt, never doubt, you are loved by him. You remember last week's sermon? That forever. That empty cross, that blood-stained Roman cross declares forever, I love you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth. And I want to pray, Holy Spirit, again that you'll take the words today. And Father, I pray you'll make them crystal clear. That you'll just put them in people's hearts. Father, there's someone here today, and, and Father, there's a situation in their life where they know they're being corrected. May they be wise enough to understand, yes, you love them, but you desire them to come home. As we go through journey of life, and we will have instances where difficulties come, help us not to doubt your love. Help us not to doubt your love. Help us to see things from the eternal perspective and not the limited edition of this short life. So may we trust you. And God, there is someone who's here today and they understood somehow through this teaching that they are depraved sinners. They're separated from you. And there's nothing they can do to come home except trust your son, Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit, would you draw the men and women and students and children that you have, have called today and have them come and say, Brent, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about this God who loves me enough to not leave me like I am. Thank you for that. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.
Amen.